Welcome to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Thanks for listening and remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and at yahoofinance.com so you don't miss an episode. Billionaire Steve Schwartzman recently made the largest ever private donation to a public school, gifting $25 million to his high school, Abington High in Pennsylvania. Schwartzman wants his donation specifically to help equip students with the right skills for the jobs of the future. The CEO of the private equity giant Blackstone says it's often not enough to donate money to schools. He thinks donations can be much more meaningful if they target specific efforts. Schwartzman also sees an opportunity for donors to fund security at our nation's public schools. On the topic of safer schools, he also made the case for tighter gun controls. Here is Steve Schwartzman's conversation with Yahoo Finance's Julia LaRoche. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, first off, let's talk about this $25 million donation that you made to your former public school, Abington High School in Pennsylvania. How and why did this come about? Well, it came about uh, because somebody asked me to do it. Uh, And it was a lady named Amy Sickle, who was the superintendent of schools. And uh, she had found me 10 years earlier uh, when Abington didn't have enough money to finish building their sports stadium. And uh, I just got a cold call from somebody, uh, said they needed some financial help. I I actually thought it was a joke. Uh, And um, I I said, seriously? why don't, why don't you build it? And uh, they said, well, we don't have enough money. I said, well, you're a public school. You should have enough money. They said, well, they gave us so much money, and then we had litigation uh, you know, to try and get all the approvals, and now we don't have enough, and they won't give us any more. So I said, you mean there's no stadium at all? They said, none. And I said, how long has that gone on? They said, five years. So I said, somebody's got to solve this. I said, have somebody come and see me and explain this. And and the superintendent of schools showed up, uh, gave me the plans, explained the situation. So I said, fine, I'll I'll do that. I'll, you know, school needs that. And and so that was that was a nice thing to do. And I enjoyed, you know, sort of facilitating that. And went to the opening. It was fun. And so I, I didn't think about this for 10 years. And then she called again. So these are bad calls, right? I mean, somebody's calling you for money. And uh, she explained that they were redoing the whole high school that was built in 1956. And, and um, was a similar kind of story that the township uh, could only spend $75 million, but they had a great school at 100 million. So they were missing 25, and she explained all the things they could do with that extra $25 million in terms of building a science and technology center, in terms of modern Wi-Fi and other types of things. And they needed a new additional gym because they were adding another grade. There was a whole story. And um, so I told her to come down again, always a mistake. Uh, and uh, you know it was it was a good project, and uh, so it was a, it was a big number for a public school. Um, and I thought about it for a while, and um, I, I realized what I cared about uh, was something a little different than just doing some renovation and expansion physically. I wanted to make sure that every student had the best skills possible 
for the world we live in and the, what, where the world's going to go. And if they didn't have those skills, then they weren't be able to get a good job and they weren't going to be able to provide for their families. And that's what I cared about. So I said, okay, you need money to do these other things. They're all good. But for me, what's special is I want to make sure every student who attended that school, whether, whether they're the college track, uh, whether they're the more vocational, technical track, uh, everybody's got to be computer literate. Everybody's got to be computer friendly. I want everybody to have a device so they can take those home and not be cut off from the world. And I said, that's what I care about. And like a good salesperson, you know, Amy said, that's a good thing. We like that too, and we'll do that. So I said, fine, that's a deal. And I realized as I was thinking about this, this wasn't about me. It wasn't about just one school. What was, why was I interested in this? Because I wanted to do something good, you know, for other people, and I wanted to do something good for where I went to school. And those motives are, are pretty universal motives, and I started thinking about why public schools were having some difficulties. It's because the tax base has changed in America. Income inequality, has put us in a position where half of the people in America live paycheck to paycheck. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you don't have a lot of savings and you actually don't have that much wealth and you can't afford to pay taxes at the rate that the middle class did when I was young and all these wonderful schools were built and teachers were paid very good money on an on a adjusted basis. And and because the economic base of the societies changed, we got to find some way to like even the score to provide those additional benefits. And there are people who have more resources than others. And the only question is, how do you get to them? How do you find them? What do you say and what do you offer them? And I realized that private schools do this, parochial schools do this, universities do this. Uh, and graduate schools do this. It's called fundraising. And why don't the public schools take a similar approach? And I think they should. And, and so the reason we're here today is apparently that's what I did. And uh, I, I said to, to the people at Abington, isn't there some broader group we can talk to about this? And they said there's a convention in a month of all the superintendents of schools in the United States. A few of them don't come, but you'll, you'll, you'll see at least the representatives of 90% of the students in the whole country. I said, well, can you get me the opportunity to talk to them? Because I think they ought to do this. It'll be good for their students, and good for their schools. So they, I ended up as the keynote speaker at this. So it's a little bit of an out-of-body experience. I'm, not an educator uh, per se, although I do a lot of stuff in education. And you do have experience in fundraising and making the ask Now well. that I know how to do. Now, I have to ask you this. You made this <laughs> announcement, um, the $25 million donation. Are you hearing any feedback from your peers who might be in a similar position to make contributions like this who may not have thought of it before? Yeah, I got all kinds of emails from people with more normal resources uh, who say, geez, I didn't know you could do that. I want to do that. And I had a few CEOs say, you know, 
that is a great idea. I'm, I'm going to do that for my school in Michigan. And somebody else said, I'm going to do that as well. And, and so just by knowing you could do this with one little news cycle, uh, there'll be bunches of money uh, that'll get unleashed. And if we can get the, the people who run these public schools, superintendents, to actually develop a function where they identify, go out, and it's important that you market something that somebody wants to give to. Just giving to a school, in many cases, that's just not enough. Whether it's giving them, you know, sort of devices so, so kids can, you know, be connected uh, to the internet. Uh, I was just thinking when I was coming down for the interview, one of the things that people are going to be interested in now is security uh, at schools, and it's it's basically not provided in a, in a thorough way. Uh, and who's got the money to spend uh, on, on on security? Uh, and if they don't have the money, then they can't spend it. Well, if you were in society today and somebody came to you and said your 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 high school needed you know, resources to make sure kids are safe, you think no one would respond? There'd be a lot of people who would respond. And, and so the idea of connecting the public school system to the world we all live in, uh, and almost everybody went to public schools, certainly of my era, there were a few private schools, very, very few, even now with all the charters, parochial schools, 90% of students go to public high schools. And, and so that's the country. Uh, and the US has, has a lot of people who are successful uh, who'd like to help out. They just don't know you could do that. And uh, so that's why I, I'm excited about this. Certainly. And one key thing that you did mention earlier, technology kind of influencing the curriculum, making sure the kids are equipped with some of these tools. Now, Blackstone is one of the larger employers. If you look at all of your assets, you yes. probably employ a half a million, maybe more folks. So as a CEO, as a business leader, when did you have that realization that everyone needs this kind of education, whether you are going to be a coder for a big tech giant or you might be a machine shop worker? When did you have that realization? Well, geez, that, that's happened over the last 10 years. And, and now the disruption uh, in, in the economy from technology is so ongoing and it's so profound. And it's really just getting started because we haven't had the full development of artificial intelligence yet, which is, which is coming over the next 10 to 20 years, if not faster, in certain applications. And so job classifications, certainly from my era, a lot of them are just wiped out. Uh, and so if you're a, a person who wants to have a job, you, you have to have pretty flexible uh, uh, skills and training because even within your own company or whatever you're doing, it's liable not to remain the same for a very long period of time. So we're moving into like lifetime learning uh, processes. It's a knowledge economy uh, increasingly. Uh, and, and the US has slipped dramatically in terms of our preparation. And we can't do that anymore. It's not optional. And each of us has to help out to make sure that each student in America who becomes 
each adult in America has these kind of foundational skills so that they can play the game. Uh, otherwise, we can't afford to have people left behind. Plus, I mean, I, most people don't think this way, but just sort of morally, how do you leave people without the right skills to live in the modern world? You can't do that. We can't do that as a country. Another thing you had mentioned was safety, and that's on a lot of parents' minds, uh, the safety of schools. So again, what kind of role could folks like yourself play? And, and is this something that you're thinking about um, with Abington High School, uh, the safety, now that this is in the headlines, um, making sure students are safe? Well, this is, this is a very topical. Uh, and you know, it's, this is like a horrific thing. This didn't exist when, when I went to school. And you know, it speaks to certain issues on uh, gun control. I was in the military uh, for a while. And um, you know, I was trained on an M16 rifle, which is the, you know, it's like the assault rifle. And we were trained then that nobody should have these types of weapons other than the military. And, um, and, and for some reason, these have now proliferated. And um, I, I sort of look at this and, and go, these are, I mean, I fired these weapons. And th this, this is not uh, for everybody. Uh, I, I, I believe that this should stay with the military. Uh, now, you know, I, I'm sort of straying into complex territory in America, but um, you know, I, I, I look at this and say that this type of weapon, um, it's called an assault rifle. Who are we trying to assault? There are no good domestic objectives for assaulting. Uh, so, you know, I think there's going to have to be some complex of things done, whether it's raising ages, uh, dealing with access, uh, you know, certain types of enhancements. I, I, I think for the safety of society, um, you know, there are going to need to be some changes made. And it's, it's fascinating watching the students, uh, you know, sort of rise up and, and become more like the adults. And, and the adults not responding instantaneously, but the message of those students, it's pretty powerful. They're scared to go to school. How, how do we as you know, adults allow that to happen? It shouldn't happen. It didn't happen to me, didn't happen to you. Um, it's a changed world, so we're gonna have to do some things to make sure people feel safe and, and are safe. Well, you know, you were a young man when you started Blackstone as well. You're 37. So we have a lot of young people entering Wall Street every year, going into finance. So what do you tell the, the new generation that comes in every year? Well, if you're going to start a business, uh, it's different in finance than it is in the tech world. In the tech world, starting something and failing isn't great, but it's not horrible. In finance, when you fail, you end up losing a lots of people's money and they're not happy about it and they remember it so the key is don't fail so how do you minimize not failing you actually have to have uh, skills so so it's 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 not for 22 year olds uh, you know or 26 year olds 
and I've watched over my career really gifted people who are 26 saying, I want to go out and start my own business. And I, I said, you haven't seen enough bad things yet. You, you don't have a, a, a really um, a sophisticated um, understanding of, of, of risk and things that can go wrong that could really hurt you. And um, some of them say, OK, I'll stay and learn more. Um, other people say, I don't, I don't care what, what you have to say. Um, and I always find that somewhat astonishing. And they go out, and almost every one of them has failed. Uh, and because you need to be a certain age, certain experience, you don't particularly want to do something that everybody else is doing because other people sort of know how to do it pretty well. So, so if you're starting uh, a business, you want to have something unique. Uh, a different take uh, on what's going on in the world. And you have to be right. Uh, and, and you have to be psychologically prepared to take lots of, of problems. Because there's nobody else to rescue you like there is in another place. So starting something in the financial world is really, really serious business. It's, it's not like saying, I have a great idea for another app, and if this one goes, you know, it only cost me a few million dollars, and you know, it could be worth a billion or two billion dollars. That's a whole different type of um, approach, with with a different structure for the people who give you money. They expect most of them uh, to 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 not work. They hope they all work, but they know the reality is they don't. In finance, when you give people money or you are hired to do something, they expect it to work. And if it doesn't, the consequences to you, because once you get off track from being at a great place, doing things that are successful, and you say, no, no, I, I really know how to do this, and if you make a complete mess of it, what you find is that most people don't want you back, and you're out there. and and so. I'm not trying to be discouraging, because I did this, uh, but, uh, but I'm trying to be uh, responsible uh, and, and sober about it. And it's a big, big deal. And if you, if you do it and you're successful, uh, you know, it's usually not that much fun the first few years. But if you do something, and now you know, I started Blackstone uh, with, with my partner who retired. Uh, 10, 10, 11 years ago. Um, now it looks great. And it gets easier and easier, which is wonderful. Uh, the more terrific people that, that you have working with you and the more infrastructure you can create, uh, the more knowledge and data you have. Uh, in the early days, it's an act of will. It's an act of faith. Uh, in yourself and, and whatever you think you have that's uh, unique. Uh, and, and it's a journey, and you just have to be prepared. Certainly a journey. Now, you all took Blackstone public in 2007, and then suddenly the world enters a financial crisis. So what was going on, like what was going through your mind during that time? In what part of the? Well, after going public, when the markets yeah. start to turn, 
as a CEO of the company, what were yeah. you thinking? What was going on then? Well, one of the reasons we went public, we had a number of reasons we did, uh, but, but one of them is I had some sixth sense that the world was, was fragile. Uh, and, and there was just too much money around. And you know, sort of the definition of when you're at the top of a market is when you're, you're, your stupid friends are getting rich. Uh, they're still stupid, uh, but they, they got rich because there was too much credit around, too much um, you know, sort of speculation. Uh, and, and I had that sense that you know, we, we needed to raise as much money as possible so that we were secure as a business, so we were bomb-proof. So we did uh, our offering, I guess it was somewhere around uh, June 22nd or 23rd of 07, and the credit crisis started happening within two weeks. And it happened slowly over a year and a quarter, and then finally Lehman went bankrupt and collapsed, and, 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 and the global financial crisis happened. So, so for us, um, uh, I, I wasn't completely shocked. I, I didn't know exactly that that would happen. But I knew something bad was going to happen. And we, we were sort of set up for the nuclear winter. So we had billions of dollars of uh, extra cash. Uh, you know, uh, our, our companies were all financed in a very good way. And, and, and what I tried to do when, when the crisis happened was try and help the government think its way through. You know, what do we do? And nobody knew because none of us had ever been through anything like that. And, you know, whether it was Hank Paulson and Ben Bernanke, Tim Geithner, all did great jobs. Now, in the recent weeks, we've seen some return of volatility to the markets. And we had Tony James in here, and, and he commented that he could see a double-digit correction. So what do you think is next for the markets? Well, I, I, I look at the situation in, in almost a sort of a mathematical way. And I'm not good at math, but this is simple, right? If, if, if the developed world's economies are going up 25 to 3% a year, that's not that much, it's not terrible, but it, you know, it's, it's what it is. Uh, and you have the performance in January uh, of the equity markets up around 7%, something like that. If you had that same performance for 12 months at roughly 7%, I mean, you're, you've got 80% performance in a year in an economy growing two and a half to three in the developed world. Does that make any sense? No. And, and so that means you can't keep going up the same way, which means you're either going to get no performance or very little, the balance of the year, or it's going to go down and then go up again. And whether you end up with 10 or 12 or whatever it is, you know, that's, that's your destiny for the end of the year. So the journey in between is going to have a bunch of downs. It's going to have a bunch of ups. Or the alternative is complete boredom uh, for 11 months. Just stay more or less the same. Nothing ever stays just the same when it involves human beings, external factors. And, and so it, it didn't strike me at all odd. Uh, if you report day to day, you can get excited about it. I just sort of looked at it and went, okay, we'll go down for a while, then we'll go up. What's important aren't the markets. 
What's important is what's happening in the economies, and the economies around the world are very good. The emerging markets are doing great. Europe is doing much better than it had been. U.S. has got this whole new regime with new tax policy, and it's going to do great uh, relative to what it was doing. I mean, we'll probably grow 75 to 100 percent more than we were doing under the previous eight years. And, and so as you look at that, that's, that's what will create jobs for people. And markets will overshoot, undershoot. It's, it's important not to get too carried away by that. Steve Schwarzman, CEO of Blackstone, thank you so much for coming by. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Yahoo Finance Presents podcast. I'm Alexis Christophorus. Be sure to rate, review, and share this podcast. And remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thank you.